This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Daily Premier League News and Views. This is Football Social Daily. It's the beginning of another week in the Premier League, but it's the end of the line for Scott Parker at Bournemouth. We have our first managerial casualty of the season as Parker and his striped cardigan are gone following a 9-0 hammering at the hands of Liverpool. But just who do the Cherries pick next? It's not just any old week in the Premier League either, it's a double game week. Palace, Brentford, Fulham, Brighton, Southampton, Chelsea and Leeds, Everton all happening tonight in the first wave of fixtures as we embark on our first midweek voyage of the season. And the window's only two days from closing, so what other wheeling and dealing could happen between now and then? All of that to come on today's Football Social Daily. My name's Niall and with me today I've got Matt Pidd and Joel Tudor. How are you doing, boys? Morning, Niall. I'm up. I've got to say, guys, I need to pick up my voice a little bit because I did this eight, 17 kilometre hike last night and my legs are looking like a Dharma Traore, so I'm really <laughs> struggling this morning. Have you not baby or Well, I'm looking at you across the desk. <laughs> you never know underneath here. Yeah. It's getting a bit... <laughs> I was going to say, you don't look like you're baby oiled. That's a good job there's a distance between us, I'd say. Um, right, let's talk about the big news that's broken this morning in the Premier League. We were just going to have a nice relaxed podcast today talking about the matches tonight in the top flight. But as it happens, literally just before we're about to come into the studio and do today's show... It was announced that Bournemouth have parted company with Scott Parker. They've sacked him. They lost their game at the weekend 9-0 to Liverpool, who had recently lost to Manchester United and, of course, were looking for a response. But they smashed nine past Scott Parker's side and he's paid for it with his job. I'll come to you first, Matt. What are your initial reactions to this news that Scott Parker's been sacked by AFC Bournemouth? Is it harsh or is it expected after the weekend's result? No, it's very, it's very harsh in my opinion. Um, for me, it can't be simply down to the results alone. I mean, they beat Villa first game of the season. And after that, they played City, Arsenal and Liverpool. You know, three teams that are going to be nowhere near him at the end of the season. And they shouldn't be judged on those results because at the end of the day, there was zero expectation on them getting anything from those games. If they would have got anything, it would have been just a bonus. For me, it's, it's down to Scott Parker and differences with his board. I mean, when you look at the teams that have come up with them, Fulham, spent over 50 million. Forrest has spent over 140 million. 
and Bournemouth have spent just 26 million. I mean, they've brought in uh, Senesi, Neto, Tavernier, and a couple more free transfers. But, I mean, if you listen to Scott Parker's um, post-match comments after recent games, you know, there's a suggestion that he's not happy with the situation because he's saying words like that, you know, they're ill-equipped to compete right now, which obviously is a dig at how much they've spent. And I think what the owners have done, they've just took that personally and took it as disrespectful. And they've just been they've been really harsh. I mean, he's got them promoted out of the championship after only two years of being back down there. I mean, the likes of Swansea and Huddersfield, etc. You know, they would have been given anything for that to happen. We know how notoriously difficult the championship can be to get out of. You know, unless you're you know Norwich and West Brom, of course. But I mean, I think what Scott Parker has achieved. You know, his time at Bournemouth has been just massively overlooked. I mean, the owner, Maxim Denham, used words like, you know, sustainability in terms of the way he wants his club being run, which suggests, again, that he just doesn't want to spend the money, you know, which is fair enough. It's his money to do with what he pleases. But in order to survive in the Premier League, you need to have some luck, but you do need to invest significantly because there's a lot of other teams around that have done the same. And obviously, that's just not happened so far. And I think what Scott Parker and his board have done are just butted heads and uh, obviously Scott Parker's come off worse and he's ended up losing his job for it. Yeah, and I think you're right to mention clubs like Swansea and Huddersfield because they're probably bigger clubs than Bournemouth. Bournemouth are a small club. Let's not make any bones Mm. about it. Their ground is small. Their ambitions are extremely high for a club of that size who only 10 to 12 years ago were battling to stay solvent in League Two and their rise under Eddie Howe has been amazing. So I think that that is something worth bearing in mind. But you know, 15 goals conceded without reply in the last three games, Joel. The, the last culminating in a 9-0 loss to Liverpool. But if you look at these results and you take into account what Matt's just said, obviously he's got a team promoted from the Championship and wanted investment to help them compete in the Premier League. But their run of fixtures to open the season. They beat Villa on the opening day. But since then, they've played Arsenal, Manchester City and Liverpool. Three of the top teams in the country... They've been beaten by 15 goals in those three games without scoring, but that probably would be expected. So considering the run they've had of those four games and they've won the other one against Aston Villa, it looks even more harsh, doesn't it? I think this decision is just very reactionary. It's very flippant. It just feels as though the owners haven't taken a little bit of perspective about what's going on with the situation and where they are at the moment, like you've just said faced three teams which are probably going to be there or thereabouts in the top four and for a side that spent 23 million in the summer which is absolutely pennies in these markets today you just look at that 9-0 and sometimes I just think to myself after that 9-0 let's say they would have lost three or four nil I don't think he would have lost his job I feel as though the owners have taken such such offence to that result that it's almost as if it's offensive in how much of a bad portrayal it is to their club. Because I remember when Harson Hootel lost 9-0 with his Southampton side. Which one? Southampton. (laughs) I knew he'd have to get it in somehow. Just before you finish your point, it shows that Bournemouth are a a smaller club with probably less expectations and a smaller fan base in Southampton. Harson Hootel got beat 9-0 twice and he kept his job. Mm, And Bournemouth have said, no, that's enough. And that's where I think that's where you show the if the owners have belief in the manager like Harsen what what manager survives nine nil twice? Mm. Well, what club gets beat twice nine nil? Not, <laughs> not many. Um, but it just shows the total difference in leadership and the strategy of the leadership. When you've got Bournemouth who are sacking a manager two days before deadline day after spending nothing in the market, 
And then you got a Southampton side who at the time were really struggling under Harsen Hutel. And I think every person thought he was going to be sacked following those nine nils. Mm. And now you look at the Southampton team, he's, he transformed it last season. He did really well. And this season, they probably will do well again. I was impressed with them at the weekend. And then you look at this, total mismanagement again. I 100% stand by my point that if it was less of a harsher result, they would have kept him. I just think they're, they're panicking a little bit. They're realising... We're at the end of the transfer window. We've not spent a lot. He's not getting enough out of the team in four games. I mean, what do you want him to do? It's August. Has there ever yeah. been a manager who's just has there ever been a manager who's been sacked in August? I'm not sure. You know, there probably has. I been. think Frank Debord did, and he lost what he got like six he games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And but he that, lost. That all would have been September or something. September. Like that. Obviously, we started earlier this season. August because of the World is, Cup. is a joke. It is a joke. Especially when you see the fixtures that they've got coming City, up. City, Arsenal, Liverpool. What do you want them to do? Even United <laughs> would struggle with those fixtures. And then you've got yeah. next Wolves at home, you know, potentially winnable. Nottingham Forest away. I mean, they've got a chance. At home to Brighton. These are winnable fixtures, you would say, or at least mm. they would get... Because they beat Villa on the opening day and they play pretty well. But then would the argument on the contrary from an owner's perspective, Joel, be, well, it gives us a chance when the new manager comes in, whoever that might be, to hit the ground running and win these games because you say it's a list of winnable fixtures but you know it's a chance for the new manager to come in and, and try and get started on but a roll the only, the only thing I'll say is that is August it's not like it's the heart of December True. where you know you've lost 12 games on the bounce the morale's down it's a 9 niler. you know what it happens you can lose 7-0 6-0 to these top sides Matt Niles smiling at me <laughs> like a Cheshire cat right now if anyone doesn't know he does support Portsmouth by the way um, <laughs> I'm sure everyone's gathered that by I know I think, I, think, I think since three years ago probably um, but yeah it's, it's a case of you know a team can get battered by a team it, it happens what, what matters is the reaction so if I was the owners, yeah. I would look at it and say, okay, you've got Wolves at home next. Let's see how much you can pick up these players in your next game mm. and see where we're at. And if you get battered by Wolves, there's no reaction. Okay, now we're going to start thinking about replacing you. But in August time, it's complete mismanagement for me. And I think it's massively unfair considering how in the championship last season, I think they only lost eight games, was it? Finished second with 88 points. I know you know the quality is different to the championship. But he's got them in such a position that they're in the Premier League again. So for me, it's just um, it's real lack of perspective. It's very short-sighted from the management of Bournemouth. And let's see who they get. I do think Sean Dyche will be very much in line for that if they want someone sure fit. Well, I'm hoping later on today on Football Social Daily Shots, which if you don't know, by the way, is our little bite-sized podcast rounding up all of the Premier League news in the afternoon. It will come out later today. I'm hoping to speak to some Bournemouth fans and just find out exactly who they would like to replace Scott Parker and whether they are reacting to the news in the same way that we are, a little bit surprised that the decision has been made and feeling that it's a bit harsh. Scott Parker, after the game against Liverpool when they lost 9-0, said that he was shell-shocked and he used that term two or three times in one of his post-match interviews. Um, and you say the owner, Matt, used the words sustainability and, you know, to paraphrase, he did mention the sustainability of the club. You've said about whether that could factor into the fact that they've not bought many players in this summer. For me, it feels a little bit like that's just jargon for staying up. They want to be sustainable in the Premier League and not just financially in terms of transfers. Is that something you'd agree with? Yeah, it does. It, it it kind of feels that way. But in order to stay up in the Premier League, I mean, like I, like I mentioned before, like you do need luck, but you do need to be 
to have investment and so far what they've what they've spent like 26 million like Joel said like is not enough for me so far considering the teams that are around them that have spent so much money they need to be on par with these teams and they have got Premier League experience in that squad don't get me wrong I'm not saying that they're entirely a team of like sort of championship players that have come up they've got they've got Premier League experience and the manager's got Premier League experience but when you've got teams like Nottingham Forest spending over 140 million, like practically just revamping the squad, the entire squad for this season, they've got bloody Ren and Lodi coming in. Do you know what I mean? Who's a Champions League player for Atletico Madrid? When you look at that and you look over the road at Bournemouth, you're like, what? What is going on there? And the owner obviously just has a problem with the way Scott Parker has conducted himself in these interviews. I think he has. He has taken. He has taken the funnies with it, and he needs to sort of. Take a step back now and look at the situation and go. Well, if this manager comes in, whether it be Sean Dyche or whether it be someone else, and obviously things don't start to turn around, what's he going to do then? Is he going to be left in a Watford situation where they're swapping managers three or four times in a season? The fans don't want that. Mm. The club don't want that. So I'm just thinking, like you know, be careful what you wish for. Like if if you're Bournemouth's owner at the moment, because Scott Parker for me had the right fit at Bournemouth I think he had a, um, a way of playing that was attractive obviously like we were saying against the teams that he played against they wouldn't have expected to get anything against City, Liverpool or Arsenal they beat Aston Villa in the first game of the season I think if they would have just stuck with him and he would have started like we are saying playing against Nottingham Forest and Wolves recently teams that are going to be nearer to them in the league mm. if they can go up against them and play well against them and get sort of positive results against them so what would have been the problem with that? As Joel said, it's it's pure reactionary. The panic button's been pressed. The big red button's been pressed. And to be honest, I, I hope it blows up in his face and I hope he realises what he's done because I respect Scott Parker as, not only as a manager, but I respect him as a player as well. I thought mm. he conducted himself really respectfully. And um, I'm also going to miss his, um, his his cardigan as well. I thought his cardigan... <laughs> Was um, was was re- was really nice, and I think um, yeah, the Premier League's going to be a lot poorer off for it. Well, it is going to be a lot poorer because I saw on Twitter earlier exactly how much that cardigan cost, and I can tell you now, it's a lot more than what I would pay for a cardigan that looked like that. I promise you. <laughs> no wonder um, you wore it. No wonder you wore it in thirty-five degree in Manchester. How much you pay for that? <laughs> yeah, well, wow. Yeah, you. If you see it on social media later today, you'll know what I mean. Bournemouth's next game is tomorrow night, Wednesday evening, against Wolverhampton Wanderers at home. But there are four Premier League fixtures to night to round off or to kick off the uh, midweek run of matches and we'll start with Leeds against Everton do you think the fans have begun to buy into Jesse Marsh now Joel was it always going to be hard to follow Marcelo Bielsa the answer is yes but Jesse Marsh with the way he kept them up late last season and now they've started pretty well they've had some decent results they've had some decent football as well being played during that time do you think the fans are just starting to get on board with it yeah you know when Jesse Marsh came in he was already dealt with a little bit of a, shall we say, upper lip against him. And that's purely because he's American. I don't know what it is with this country where if an American comes in to a job, they all yeah. kind of have this perspective. And yeah. There's stereotypes, it's a, isn't Yeah, there's a massive stereotype. It was like um, Armas, the United yeah. uh, assistant coach, where they Bob were... Bob Bradley was at Swansea. Ted La- yeah, well, was in like Ted Lasso. Yeah, this is what I mean. What, what, who, who are you to say that kind of thing? It's ridiculous. He's a good coach, Jesse Marsh. What he's achieved. Well, this, at this is what I'm, we're showing it right now because when you look at who they lost in the summer, Rafinha, who was their talisman, yeah. Phillips, who was their main man in midfield, uh, not last season but the season before, obviously due to injuries. Out Bamford as well. Yeah, Bamford for the whole season he was out. He had to take over Marcelo Bielsa, who Leeds fans absolutely bought into. He made. He galvanised that club. Yes. He brought them up. 
after what 16 years out of the Premier League mm. he was the love of that city so to lose someone like that who is basically the figure pin of the city on a football footballing perspective and have this new American guy a little bit eccentric didn't do great at Leipzig it's going to be hard to accept and then he's had a difficult job of having to replace these massive talisman in the side and when you've seen the plays he's brought in again he received criticism because yeah. he was going for American players Brendan Aronson's Bre- been brilliant and when you look at the yeah, when you look at these guys who he's brought in, Aronson he had a, he, he scores goals for fun at his previous club. He's bringing in all these talented Americans, and if anyone doesn't know about American football now, they're investing a hell of a lot of money into their youth systems in the states. Same with Canada as well, and it's going to be. I think he's probably going to reap the rewards for it because mm-hmm. they are super talented players. Yeah. And judging from the start of the season, you know, they find themselves in fifth place, two wins, one draw, and one loss. Yeah it's a good position to be in because I think at the start of the season, including myself, I was thinking they were going to be in for a very hard, long battle this season after losing who they did. Yep. I know it's, there's a lot to go, but for a great start for him because he's proven his doubt is wrong every single week. Leeds fifth, as you say, Joel, above Chelsea, Manchester United and Liverpool in the Premier League table. It is early doors though, of course. Down at the bottom with Leeds last season was Everton and that's exactly where they are still this season after four games. They're 18th, just two points to speak of. But Anthony Gordon, that's a bit of a saga that's been hanging over Goodison Park for a while, Matt. It looks like Chelsea might have given up the ghost on that one a little bit, or at least it's gone quiet in the last 24 hours or so. And Frank Lampard in his pre-match press conference said that Gordon is going to be in the squad against Leeds, and it's likely that he's probably going to stay at the club, at least reading between the lines. That's what I got from what Lampard was saying. But I bet they can't wait till the end of the transfer window to get all this speculation out of the way. Yeah, because it's a massive distraction, not only to the club, but to the player himself. I mean, he, he scored against Brentford over the weekend. It was a really nice finish as well. But what I was reading was that there was Chelsea was prepared to offer Brozier and Conor Gallagher and Cash for Anthony Gordon. And for me, that would have been a no-brainer for Everton. As much as he is a good player, Anthony Gordon, Conor Gallagher's awesome. We've seen him at Palace last season. And Brozier's a good striker. We've seen it for Southampton last season. And that's exactly what Everton need right now. Firepower, don't they? They can't rely on Calvert-Lewin to stay fit for the entire season. So if that was to be put on the table again, then I think they'd they'd have to go for it. And obviously, Ross Barkley's been made a free agent now as well. And Mm. for me, he'd be a perfect fit to go back to Goodison and, you know, put some... They say say never go back, but I think he's got some unfinished business there, um, Ross Barkley. But in terms of the way they've started the season, Everton, I mean, look, they've only got two points from the first four games. And like we were talking about Leeds, and it is early doors. I think Lampard won't be, you know, panicking too much um, just yet. But they have got a decent, you know... um, Sort of got got a decent squad, and they need they need to try and get this Anthony Gordon thing past them now. Because, like we we're saying, that the the, uh, the transfer window is ending soon, and if Chelsea have backed mm. off now, it's one less thing for them to worry about. Yeah, um, Leeds made a decent start to the season. It's a tough fixture for them, but I think that they can, with being at Goodison Park, get a result. Then they can sort of pick the season up from there. Let's talk about Chelsea then. They're away at Southampton tonight. Southampton beaten in the early kickoff by Manchester United on Saturday. Chelsea got the job done in their weekend match against Leicester as well, albeit it wasn't easy. They had a, a player sent off. They ended up winning by two goals to one. Raheem Sterling as well, getting his first couple of goals for Chelsea uh, since his arrival from City in the summer. They got hammered against Leeds. 
did Chelsea Joel, but they managed to recover, as we said, against the Leicester side who were looking shaky themselves. Um, we knew it was going to be different for Chelsea this season because of the changes behind the scenes and the signings that have been made, etc., etc., and some of the players they've lost too. But they've got another good chance here against the Southampton side who, although they played all right against Manchester United, are off the back of a defeat. Yeah, I thought with Chelsea it was a good reaction to the Leeds game, especially since Gallagher Gallagher, Gallagher got sent off in, I think, the 27th minute, which means, you know, it's having a to... game time it, left. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. basically the full match, basically, to be played. But I think what helped him is that they're against the lesser side, which is just depleted. And then alongside the fact that it came so poetically, alongside the Fafana deal basically coming across the line, I think that deal is going to really strengthen them so much in, at the back I don't even think they're that frail at the back it's the toothless up front and when you've yeah. not really got a real namely goal scorer I mean Kai Havertz for me is not a number nine you never will be I think they've been absolutely played with that transfer I don't think he's anywhere near good enough to be a starter for Chelsea I think he'd be best going back to the Bundesliga if I'm honest and now that you've got Raheem Sterling who's kind of the guy who has to be the talisman I don't know where the goals are going to come from, really. I, I still think that if they can get this Aubameyang deal over the line, it will probably help them massively because they have no central point that's going to get them the goals, which is going to get them further on in the season. But obviously, they've got a bit of a disciplinary record. They've got one record against Leeds. They've got two red cards against Leicester. Obviously, we can't forget Thomas Tuchel's red card as well at the end <laughs> uh, with a little handshake gesture to... Oh, the Tottenham, yeah. Yeah, against yeah. Antonio Conte. Oh, to, against Tottenham, sorry. Um, so I think for Chelsea, it's just the case of... I think Thomas Tuchel will be a little bit nervous with that front line because he's very toothless. They've got no firepower there whatsoever. And even though... I feel, I feel like they're going to be very bottom-heavy this season. Right. They've got a very sure fit defence now with Fafana, Koulibaly, Azpilicueta, mm. Rhys James. I mean, it's, a, it's, an, ama- it's, it's yeah. a, an elite level. It's a decent defence, isn't it? It's elite. But they, like you say, they sold Lukaku, they sold Werner, two yeah. players who didn't Zayic work out. potentially on Zayic the way could on. be on the way back yeah. to Ajax by the looks of it. And then, as you mentioned, um, Kai Havertz is not quite at the level that maybe we're expecting. Royer is still quite young. Good season last year on loan, mm. but is he got it in him to be Chelsea's main man? Abraham, they sold him. So it's like, in terms of that front end of the pitch, they do need to solve it. They've got, what, two days left to do it? I mean, any strike that they go into now, let's say it's Victor Ozyman, let's mm. say it's Latoro Martinez, they're going to want double the price, aren't they? I mean, they're the talismans for their side. Yeah. It's disrespectful to even to come in for an offer for them at this stage of the season. Mm. Um, but for Chelsea, you know, it's a very transitionary period. Obviously, we know what happened with Abramovich. We know Ted, Todd Bowley's acting like sporting director slash negotiator slash technical director. Everything, he's basically all in one at the moment. I don't know what the hell's going on there. Uh, but I feel as though next summer is this season for them to get their goal scorer because right now they okay. are rare to find. Um, and if I if it was me, I would give Amanda Broher a chance, to be honest. Mm. I think they can do worse than that. OK, well, he might play against the club he was on loan at last season. Mm. Chelsea travelled to Southampton. Let's focus on Selhurst Park now, where Palace entertain Brentford. Brentford always work hard. They were unlucky against Everton, hit the crossbar three times. I'm expecting them to to give Palace a really good runaround tonight, but it looks unlikely, or at least it's unsure, whether Wilfred Zaha is going to be available for Crystal Palace, Matt. Do you think they're over that stigma from a few years ago that they only really rely on Wilfred Zaha and when he's not in the side, 
they're going to struggle because there was a statistic a couple of seasons ago that when Zaha wasn't in the side, Palace had real problems. But when he was in the team, they won more games. You'd expect that because he's a good player. But do you think that since Vieira's come in and the way things have changed around Selhurst Park, the atmosphere, the environment, that they're kind of beyond that tag nowadays? Yeah, I mean, obviously we played them over the weekend and it was without Zaha and it was this thing where everyone was saying, oh, they've not got Zaha, so City are going to go turn them over. And then all of a sudden, you know, they're 2-0 up inside the first 20 minutes. But they've got, like, Eze really impresses for me. I think they're just so aggressive, Palace, especially on the counter-attack. They do, obviously, they are a better side with Zaha in there, but I'm not entirely sure that they're reliant on him now maybe last season but this season I don't know there just seems to be something different about Palace they just seem to be there's this air of confidence about them now and teams don't want to play against them I, I I dreaded playing Palace over weekend more than I dread playing United nowadays that's no disrespect Joel but Dis- that, disrespect this- taken Matt <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that was also down to the fact that they had a bit of a hoodoo over us quite recently but yeah I think what Vieira's got there is a, is a good squad and a good young squad what he's he's moulding into his image he did really well from last season there's a lot of promise on them this season and I think that they're going to they're going to need, obviously, players like Zaha to stay fit as as uh, much as possible. Um, Ayu, again, he, he's another player that did my head in over the weekend. He just doesn't stop. When you when you watch Palace play, they just they just run and they just make life difficult for mm. whoever they're up against. They don't really, they don't play the occasion. It's whoever they're up against. They don't sort of like change tactics. It's it's our way and you're going to you're gonna get the Palace that you're going to expect every single week. So, obviously, they're a better side with Zaha in there, but without them, I don't think they're as over-reliant as um, a lot of people suggest. OK, well, Palace take on Brentford tonight. Feels like a game for the football purists, that one. Now I've said that, watch it finish goalless. <laughs> Fulham against Brighton is the final game that takes place tonight. Fulham, of course, doing the best out of the newly promoted sides, you'd say. This is a good test for them against the Brighton team who have shown exactly what you can do if you cling on in the Premier League, build a bit of a foundation, get a good man manager in put a structure in place and build from there and and you know they've done exactly that because at the moment Joel Brighton are in the top four but this stage last season they started well Mm. similarly they're in the top four and there are a few murmurs of people going oh they could finish in Europe this year in the end they didn't they tailed off but they did finish in the top 10 in the Premier League which is their highest ever finish as a club in the history of Brighton and Hove Albion what do you think their level is at the moment they're not going to finish fourth, let's face it. But where do you think they could end up if they carry on the way they're going? Because they've started really well again. Yeah, it's ex- exactly before you started speaking, I was literally saying to myself, this happened, I've got deja vu, because I'm <laughs> sure they were like third in the Premier League table for a good three months. And then, you know, obviously starts to take effect all of the fixtures and all of the congestion. It starts to really play a toll. But I think I've run out of adje- adjectives to describe Brighton and Graham Potter because he just seems to go from strength to strength every Mm. single season and when you see Brighton when they get gutted out every summer you know they've lost some big players Kukurea's gone they've lost Basuma you know they were two very big players obviously I think Mopé's gone to Everton now hasn't he I'm not sure that's quite a big loss not as big as them two but (laughs) it was a decent goal scorer for them I think he scored a good what Mm. 10 12 goals yeah he was was scoring some big goals for them and every single time he just seems to like I've mentioned in previous podcasts, it runs like a clockwork at Brighton where every single person in that club knows their role and they do it extremely yeah. well. I mean, it's a great it's a great example, even with the recruitment, to see that Basuma, someone who was catching the eye of a lot of people from outside the top six, one of the better midfielders mm. in the Premier League. And, you know, he's gone to Tottenham and already they've got 
you know, the the lad Moises Caicedo, who's come in and Both almost four million. <laughs> exactly as good. And now there's links to forty two million to Liverpool. I mean, it just if that doesn't tell you how good they how good he is at developing players, but how good the recruitment is at finding them, it's it's a match made in heaven, isn't it mm. really? Yeah. I mean Kukurea they bought him on deadline day last year mm. from Getafe for I think it was seventeen million buyout clause. Right. No other clubs wanted to buy him. They were the ones who took the punt and they've reaped the rewards for it. So now when you look at their side, on paper, it doesn't look as strong. I mean, they use Adam Lallana, Danny Welbeck, who looks like he did back at the Burnabout for United in 2013. <laughs> I mean, he's he's, come, he's, hmm. he's reinvented himself again. And it makes me happy to Danny see. Welbeck. No, he is. He's... When he's fit and whenever he has been fit, he's scored some massive goals. I think Arsenal fans remember the big goals that he's scored for them. I always remember that one against Leicester in the last minute. Um, mm. But, you know, they've got pa- Pascal Grosser, who's mm. scored a few really big goals for them. Trossard, who I think he probably ended up getting a big money move next really summer. Really good season last it, year as well, yeah, Trossard. They've got, and Sanchez in net, another yeah. big, big goalkeeper. Yeah. He just develops players excellently well. Mm. And although they're not, I don't think they'll get Euro, um, the European places, maybe they will have if they would have been able to keep Basuma and Kukurea, but... It's not a club that is able to do that, unfortunately. Yeah. But they're going to stay up, which is what they were the worried about yeah, two and a half course, years ago. Yeah. You know, so so for. But nice now, one. do you remember when we talked about when Graham Potter got booed off against Leeds? Do you they drew that? nil nil at home, and the Brighton fans booed them off. I couldn't believe it. I was oh. shocked. I was stunned. Yeah, you, and exactly like you said, Matt, at the start of the podcast, be careful what you wish for. Yeah, because even though in moments you can struggle in a side for a month. Just look at the long-term perspective. Yeah. Yeah. He got a, a seven-year contract at Brighton. He got a long contract. Right yeah. then. So that's when you know the club have got a strategy and they've got a plan in but place. I think that's Trust also it. smart from Tony Bloom and, and those yeah, sort of sure. upstairs at Brighton because they know that he's a good manager and there are going to be big clubs that come knocking. Oh, and if sure. he's on a seven-year contract, that means a little bit more compensation for Brighton. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. Let's talk about the transfer window because whether it's Anthony, Alexander Isaac, Lucas Paqueta, there's some new faces in the top flight that have touched down over the weekend. Some yet to be announced, some have been confirmed and wonder whether there will be any more between now and the end of the window. Let's talk about that Anthony to Manchester United deal. Looks like €80 million, Joel, from Ajax for a man who's going to link back up with Eric Ten Hag at the Theatre of Dreams. A lot of money by the sounds of it from what people are saying. 
Is that typical United at this point in time or is that an investment for the future in a player who's just 22 and the manager wants him? I think it's just the state of the transfer market. I don't think you can even get around this kind of issue at the moment, which is that you can't buy potential anymore. You've just got to pay the price of what they would be if they reached the potential. But I think with Ajax, they were in such a strong position in terms of being able to extort every single last penny out of United. And the issue with United is they've developed this reputation of being able to be extorted every single summer. As you saw with Harry Maguire, you know, Leicester probably knew that they could reject a 70 million bid because the United will return next week with an 80 million bid. So it's a difficult position that we find ourselves in. But judging from the way in which uh, Lysandro Martinez has started, judging by the way that Malassia has started, I do trust in the profile of players that he's looking for. Obviously, Anthony is very, very raw. He may not even be ready yet. And he's 100% not worth that price. But he fits the profile that Ten Hag wants. And if you've got to pay the money, basically put it this way, I'd rather they bought him than didn't buy him. Because if they've started buying fourth and fifth choice options, it never goes well. It never is proven in the in the past that buying a manager's third, fourth, fifth choice option doesn't work. So you have to pay the money for the signings that they want. And I think that the hierarchy of United are fearing the wrath of United fans and just the reaction in general. If they start messing around with this transfer, end up paying, you know, a very smaller amount for Gakpo, for example. He doesn't work out. Everyone looks at the United board and say, why don't you get the player he wanted then? So this is a case of United going all in on Ten Hag and I'm all in favour of it. And to be honest, I don't really pay attention to fees anymore in the market because it's that skewed in terms of relation to value versus money paid that it doesn't really make sense anymore. So if he unlocks his potential, which he does look to be, he looks a cracking player, 22 years old, he's still got time, but it is a lot of money. Yeah, and we've seen what that price tag has done to players like Harry Maguire Mm. and Paul Pogba. A price tag of that stature and that loftiness will naturally bring an added pressure. Whether that's um, fair or not is is not really for the player to decide because they don't choose what they're worth. It's just something they're going to have to shoulder when it comes down to it. But right, it's the same but, agree, unless you're sitting it. Huh? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but right wing, Joel, don't United already have enough players in the right wing position? They've got Jaden Sancho who can play there, Alangu can play there, Rashford can play out on either flank. Really, they've got you know, options in those wing positions. So why have they decided to sign a right winger when maybe there are other areas of the pitch that they could have strengthened instead? I think it's very different when you don't have a player on the right wing who isn't left-footed because they make the pitch very, very big. If you look at Sancho when he played at the right wing for Dortmund or for United, he always comes in narrow because obviously he's a right-footer so he wants to come inside. Mm. And I think with this kind of transfer, I think it's kind of like, a replacement for Greenwood because when you remember him he was a player who made the pitch very big he was very difficult to defend because he was left-footed I feel like left-footers are just super difficult to defend against the best left-footer for me I am Robin he he hmm. perfected that role to a T in terms of making the pitch wide coming inside um, having a great eye of pass and I feel like Antin will do that for us but I think the main point for Anthony is that he's the right profile for that position and I just don't think Ten Hag trusts our forward line because if anyone watched the Southampton game at the weekend 
I think I would rather pay extra for Anthony watching that forward line because there was no there was toothless, absolutely toothless. I don't think Rashford's mm. going to get back to the heights he was. Sancho, I still think he needs time. He needs combinations rather than leaving him isolated on the wing. And I feel like with Anthony, he's the type of player where if you give it to him, he can do things on his own in terms of his ball skills, his possession-based approach. So I think for me, it's just the case of the right profile. And we've lacked a right winger who's a left footer for a long, long time now. So I just think it's the right profile for this team. Okay, Anthony to Manchester United, that deal is on. £80 million, yet to be confirmed, but it's reported widely that a medical has taken place for the Brazilian in the last 24 hours. Lucas Paqueta to West Ham, that's a deal we spoke about last week. That is a done deal, and it's for a club record fee the Hammers have splashed out to bring in their man. But will it work, Matt? What do you reckon? We've seen West Ham spend big money on players in the past and it's fallen flat on its face. What makes this one different? Do you think it will work or do you think we'll see the same old situation? Well, I mean, it's just one of these. We'll have to wait and see what happens. But, I mean, he had nine goals and six assists in um, League 1 last season, a couple in Europa League as well. He's only 25, so, you know, he's, he's still relatively young in the respect of being a footballer. At the end of the day, West Ham, they want to build on last season. I mean, they've been sniffing around European places now for a couple of seasons and they want to get into the sort of top six. They even want to be shouting for the top four bracket. Let's not make no mistake about it. West Ham's owners have ideas above their stations and that must be fantastic from a West Ham like fans point of view I mean, Jim must be buzzing because it wasn't too long ago that West Ham was sort of like trying to battle out of relegation and now they're all of a sudden looking up and nowhere nowhere else but up this is a good signing for them he's a creative midfielder it's something that West Ham need West Ham want to push on so why not splash the cash I mean if it doesn't work out it doesn't work out but if it does you know then it's going to be you know investment in itself they're going to get money for finishing further at the table it'll pay for itself um, a lot of people think of Liga as a, a farmer's league if he's done well in Liga that doesn't mean he's going to do well in the Premier League etc etc but again it's Brazilian and we've seen Brazilians come to the Premier League and absolutely light it up so from a West Ham point, uh, fans point of view you know let's just uh, let's just wait and see but I, I, hope, I hope he does come in and hope, I hope he does do well I've always had, had a bit of a, um, a soft spot for West Ham and they want to finish as high up in the Premier League as possible and he can only uh, help with those chances. OK, what about Ross Barkley then, Matt? Now a free agent, as you mentioned earlier on in the podcast. That's a contract which has been mutually terminated by Chelsea. So he's now a free agent. So he doesn't actually, I think, have to... Well, Matt, I'm not sure how it works. Can he wait until after the deadline if he's a free agent? Or does he, he need... Any time, does he can sign at any time, Yeah. At any time, yeah. yeah. I'm pretty sure. I, do you know what? I had a bit of a mind blank then. I was like, is that the rules? Is that the rules? <laughs> it is the rules. He can sign, basically. He's not He's not tied down to the next two days. He can sign whenever he wants. So he's got a bit of time. Yeah. Um, but what do you think? What's next for him? It obviously hasn't worked out at Chelsea. I think, did he go on loan back at Everton as well at one point Villa, recently? He went to. Villa, of course. Yeah, of course it was. Yeah. But maybe Everton is the is the next best situation. What do you think? Well, like I said before, I think he's got a bit of unfinished business there. I think the way he left was under a bit of a cloud. I think it was too much too soon. I said this on the podcast last week. I referred to it in the uh, Anthony Gordon situation. I said um, Barkley had all this potential when he was at Everton. People was touting him as the like, sort of next Gascoigne. Mm. He had all this talent. He was in the England squad. He was like highly lauded. And then all of a sudden he went to Chelsea and... You know, he was just another player in their team, wasn't he? He was just another part of the system. He needs to be the main man. He needs to be the main man in whatever team he's in. And he was never going to be that at Chelsea. 
I think his, his attitude's been a bit wrong as well in places. And I mean, he's still got time to sort that out. He's still got. He's, I think this could be his redemption. I think this could be like the second coming of Ross Barkley if his head is in it. And to go, obviously, under Lampard, a very good attacking midfielder. Do you know what I mean? Great goal scorer for Chelsea. And he could work perfectly there. He could make Ross Barkley what he was beforehand. He's got a little bit more experience now, Ross Barkley, since he last left Everton. So, I mean, if he goes back there, I think it can just be nothing but good for the club and the player. But it's up to him, isn't it? Like we said, he's a free agent. Maybe he's going to take some time to mull it over. Or maybe he just wants to jump straight back in. If it, if I was him, I'd want to jump straight back in as soon as possible. Get get off the ground running and try and help, obviously, his boyhood club get out the, the position that they're in now. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Finally then, Tottenham Hotspur and Antonio Conte. Something we've been speaking about for months, Joel, is that they needed to back him in the summer transfer window. I think Tottenham have done that, but Antonio Conte is still not happy, is he? He wants more signings, according to the latest reports. Spurs have got two days to try and bring more bodies through the door. Is this just Conte kind of pushing his luck? Do you think if the window closed in the next two days and they didn't bring someone in, that he'd be quite happy with the business done? Or do you think he's right? They do need more. I think Daniel Levy's locked himself in a room now. Yeah, he's, he's turned <laughs> his deadline. phone off, hasn't he, for yeah. two days? Yeah, because he knows that if you keep Antonio Conte unhappy, he will leave at any moment. Given he does not care, he wants the right squad. But I think in this situation, Tottenham are probably—I think they've spent probably the most they have in years. Maybe I don't know if this is maybe their most highest expenditure ever in a summer window because they've spent a hell of a lot—152 million, which is a lot of money for Tottenham, given the fact that you know in history it's been this kind of stereotype that Tottenham don't realise to break the bank too much. But having spent, you know, 50 million on Richarlison, they've just signed Kristen Romero uh, on a permanent transfer just today, actually, for 45 million after he was on a season-long loan. Uh, and Yves Bissouma, Jed Spence, Ivan Perisic on a free transfer. This, they're very shrewd signings. They just fit the system that Antonio Conte wants to play. And we've seen it quite a lot in the, la- in the first four games, actually. I don't think they've been incredible but they're getting the job done, which is what an Antonio Conte team does, really. And he has, if you think back to his Inter Milan team, you know, he had Matteo Damian coming back from the fringes of United. 
looked at, uh, sorry, he was at Torino again, actually, and then looked completely finished and ended up winning the Scudetto. Victor Moses at Chelsea, he makes players better because they're in the right system for him. So I think that from what he's got, he will be happy. He's got out the right plays he wanted, you know, and Don Billy, he's gone out. Um, Lo Celso's gone out. He's got the right players out and he's got the right players in. And I don't think he can be too unhappy because I know that at the start of the summer, not even in the summer, in January, it was a main concern for him that if he wasn't going to get backed, he wouldn't be able to take Tottenham to where he wanted to take them. And I think Daniel Levy's taken that very, very literally. And you can see that in the amount that they've spent. So I think it's a good window for Tottenham. And I think that for Antonio Conte, he's massively strengthened the side from last season, which last season was pretty disappointing. So... I think that they can hope for a pretty good season this season, Tottenham fans. OK, well, not long to go until the closure of the transfer window. And of course, we will bring you all of the information when it comes to incomings and outgoings in the Premier League on Football Social Daily. This is the only Premier League podcast with a new episode each and every day of the season. So hit subscribe and that way you won't miss it. We'll also be back later with Shots, our little bite-sized show, bringing you all the latest news from the Premier League that you might have missed and that we didn't feature in today's episode. I feel like we might be speaking about Scott Parker again later on on that so make sure you hit subscribe and you won't miss that either it's seven years today though since Kevin De Bruyne signed for Manchester City and that was met with a few eyebrows wasn't it Matt um things change <laughs> yeah. don't they in time I, you know what, I love it this time like of the year because you get it on Twitter just you see Phil Thompson and Paul Merson just the, the, when they were brought up from Soccer Saturday going he's a good player but is he a great player do you know what I mean and look <laughs> I think they've just I think I think they've uh, they've ate the words in that respect because now he's one of if not the best creative midfielder in the world at the moment mm. and for 50 million pounds everyone was calling him the 50 million pound reject because Mourinho didn't fancy him at Chelsea and I mean look when you looked at him at Wolfsburg he got Bundesliga player of the season in a league where Bayern Munich were absolutely battering everyone do you know what I mean and if that wasn't like sort of like a sign of things to come then I think he was uh, pretty blind to what what was actually going to happen in the future it's funny this game it's got a funny way of coming around to bite you, doesn't it? And prove you wrong. Um, wonder what we'll see in the Premier League over the next two days. Loads of fixtures taking place. Don't forget, as I say, hit subscribe. And you won't miss us on Football Social Daily. But from myself, Joel and Matt, that is it. And we'll speak to you again tomorrow.